<laughs> okay. So, December 1st, here's our proverb for the day. I chose verses 32 and 33. The complacency of fools will destroy them, but whoever listens to wisdom will dwell safely and will be secure and with, without fear of evil. Good one. That's a good one. They're all good ones. I love it when the kids come up with a memory verse and they come up out of uh, Proverbs, like we heard out of Proverbs 25 today. That was great. A couple times in the past, Lisa and I have been here between nine and ten years, and so I've preached quite a few sermons by now. And a couple of times before in sermons, I've talked with you and I've brought up um, about a building whose name literally means Tower of Marshy Land. And um, I chuckle about this. Leave that one up there for a couple of minutes, if you would. You know, the name of the, this is the Tower of Pisa. It's now called the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Pisa translates mean marshy land. So they, they knew when they were building this building. I just chuckle when I think about this building. Um, they knew when they were building it that um, it was on marshy land. And um, by the way, so I, I think it's been several years since I brought this up. I just want to bring you an update. It's still leaning. <laughs> it's still leaning. It was built 850 years ago. It started leaning during construction. They saw it occurring during, but they just kept right on going. And um, uh, they built this thing. It's uh, 850 years ago. It was a long time ago. The foundations are 10 feet tall. They're 8 feet thick. I mean, this thing is a stout, stout building. It's actually a bell tower. There are several bells at the top that are weigh multiple tons. And, um, um, you know, it's kind of, it, it, I just chuckle about this because it was leaning when they were building it, but this kept right on going. Hey, it's leaning. Yeah, keep going. So they just kept on going. And then to solve that problem as it was going up, and it went up over decades and over, uh, over 10 or a couple hundred years, it, as it was going up to solve that problem and it was leaning, they just thought, well, if it's leaning this way, we'll make this wall longer to keep turning it to get it back up to straight. Problem is then it le leans some more. So now it not only leans, but if you look carefully, if you measure it, it's shaped like a banana. It's not even straight on the side. This thing is a hot mess. And uh, back in the 90s, um, the building, the officials looked at it. There have been some attempts to fix it in the 1800s, another one early in the 1900s by Mussolini, and they did some crazy things. They drilled holes in the ground, and they did some stuff, and those solutions actually made it tilt more. So they, their fixes made it worse, and then um, about sometime in the 1990s, some pretty smart people looked at it and said, this is a, a, a problem. They condemned it. They shut it down for tourism, and uh, there were actually some apartments that laid in the potential pathway. They were condemned, and they demolished those just because they thought this thing's going to kill a bunch of people. And um, anyway, so they've been doing these things. They've, they've done a lot of crazy things. No matter what they do, it's still not true. That's what makes me chuckle. I mean, it's like this, you know, they, 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 they literally strapped tons of lead counterweights on the uphill side thinking, you know, we'll make it so heavy it can't tip. Um, I don't know if that helped. Um, they put cables on it. They've done all kinds of things. And then uh, they got some people together and um, that maybe knew a little bit more about modern engineering. And they did some things to it and they got down underneath the foundation on the wrong, on, on the side that, was, um, that it wasn't tipping towards and they did some stuff there. And now, and when that happened, it started falling the other way. Seems counterintuitive to say that it's falling uphill, but it was falling, and they got it to move back like just under 16 inches, and they declared that it's now safe for another 200 years. <laughs> and so it's, when I say um, 16 inches, if you had the thing straight, 
Um, right, right now, it's something in the neighborhood of 12 and a half feet. The top corner should be here. It's 12 and a half feet over here, which is quite a lot of mass and weight. Anyway, so they, they got it where it tipped back up to about 15 or 16 inches, and they said, okay, we're good for a couple hundred years. We can open the thing back up. Now, they have an official committee that still meets every, at least every three months to say, okay, what's going on with the tower? And um, that's what makes me laugh, because well, I, I, I keep following this because it's still leaning, and... Um, <laughs> Is this just funny to me? Anyway, so <laughs> they, it's still leaning. And, and since the last fix, it's continued self-correcting. It's gone another almost inch and a half. And at that pace, it should be upright in 4,000 years. <laughs> okay, I mean, I, I, keep, I, I chuckle about this because um, it's not going to stand up straight. It's not going to become ever, it's not going to ever become true. It's always going to be leaning. And I think that some things about this building tell us more about human nature than they do about buildings. I mean, it's like, um, here's a couple of quotes. Um, the engineer of the last fix, in theory, it would be possible to straighten it completely, but nobody really wants that. <laughs> the mayor of Pisa. The people of Pisa are delighted that the tower has been restored, but that, has not, that, but that it has not been straightened. We're delighted that it's not straight. Okay. I get that. I mean, it's a tourism place. Um, a, a few million people go to it every year, and they don't go because it's a really wonderfully constructed building. They go because maybe it'll fall while we're there. I mean, they go because, <laughs> because it should not be standing up, and it's a marvel to see this defective thing. And, you know, that it, it, so, so here's human nature according to the Tower of Pisa. It's okay to stand on, it's okay to put your trust in things that you know aren't true. You know, you know it's, 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 it's just like the fact that we're, that we're aware that we're not on good, foot, good footing doesn't seem to have any effect on us. We're comfortable with the patches, we're comfortable with these workarounds that we know don't really fix it. They just kind of slow down the fall. This thing is in a free fall right now. It's just a very slow free fall, but it's falling. There was a guy in 1875 whose name was um, William Ernest Henley. He had to have a leg amputated because of complications that had to do with tuberculosis. And uh, he woke up from that surgery, which was pretty savage in 1875. And um, when he woke up, they basically informed him, hey, bad news. Looks like the other leg's going to have to come off at the same time. And um, another surgeon got involved. His name was Joseph Lister. Um, he was a specialist in antiseptic medicine. You would know his name from Listerine. Um, he got to work on it, and somehow he saved the guy's leg. But anyway, he went through this huge ordeal. And in that whole leg ordeal, um, Henley wrote this poem, this very, very famous poem that you've probably heard it quoted in a movie or read it in a book, or maybe you were taught this in school and you had to memorize and repeat it. Here, let's read it. I'll read it out loud to you. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade. He's talking here about death. And yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishment the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. This uh, 
the title of this poem is Invictus, which is a Latin word which basically means something that's unconquerable. Um, and it's fundamentally this poem about self-sufficiency, about, about independence. It's, it's about my ability to depend on me. It's about, you know, I, whatever I face, it'll be fine because I've got myself covered. And these two famous lines that you've probably heard, I am the master of my fate, I'm the captain of my soul, you know, although it's popular in movie themes and quoted by politicians and you know, people have had to recite it in school, this, this, this poem is really an affront to the living God. It, 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 is, it breaks the heart of our God because this poem asserts in, in, in pretty certain terms, I'm my own God. Any other God that happens to be out there is inconsequential compared to my own ability to control my future my destiny. Today I want to talk to you about an, a name um, that flies in the face of Invictus, and that name is Adonai. Adonai. There are a lot of names of God in the scripture. Um, um, I have a lot of names. People call me Terry. They call me Hey You. I've had people call me Mr. Fisher. Um, there was a color guard or an honor guard here yesterday for Memorial. They called me Sir. They called me sir, and I you know, know that that's somebody trying to get my attention because they want to communicate something with me. I got a lot of handles, um, but those are different than the names of God that you see in Scripture. The different names of God talk about his different characteristics, and they're pretty amazing. So I'm going to just quickly kind of give you a, a flyover of some of the names that you find in the Old Testament, the Hebrew names. Um, Elohim, which you see in Genesis 101, means creator. The judge, creator, judge. Jehovah, which is in scripture a lot of times, is over six, almost 7,000 times, um, is really um, our, our guess about what he actually said. Um, it's really four Hebrew letters in order, yod Hey, vav Hey, um, And we see it, um, if it was translated, Y-H-W-H. And um, so it, 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 this is the, the name, I am that I am that you had seen if you had watched the Ten Commandments movie with Charlton Heston. I am that I am. Remember that moment? Anybody here ever seen that? Okay, that is Jehovah, and it's Y-H-W-H, and it's pronounced Jehovah. It's a guess, because what we have were consonants. The, the vowels were omitted by the people who penned the scripture because they thought it was too holy. You dare not say the actual name of God. And so we have this YHWH. In fact, when you look in your Bible and you see the word Lord, and it's all uppercase, upper L, upper O, that is YHWH. That is Jehovah. That is, so, that's, so you can tell which, which words are being used. Another name for God that we find in there is Adonai. It's about 330 times. And it is always a plural word. It's a plural word because God is a plurality. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Adonai means, what it literally means is master. It means controller, owner. And we find um, in the psalmist in Psalm 97 verse 5 says, says that God is the Adonai of the whole earth, the master controller of all the earth. The Bible really makes it clear. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the hills that the cattle graze on. He's the owner. He's the owner of everything. He's the owner of everybody. He's responsible for the things that he owns. And with that fact comes this staggering implication. If God is the owner, I'm not. <laughs> but we tend to want God to do the things that the word says he can do 
but without giving him the right to be Adonai, master owner. And if you're not willing to give him ownership, you're not willing to allow him to be the master of your life, this flow of God fulfilling the things that his word proclaims that he can and he will do, that flow kind of starts to dry up. It stops, stops. It turns into a drip. The problem that we have today is that is, is Christians would want God to get them to heaven, but we don't want him to own us while we're on the earth. And we'll hear God's word say, you know, God's word promises me something, and we fill in the blank, but, but many of God's promises are specifically tied and related to our personal experience, um, tied to our Adonai confession of who he is, of his name. You can look in Exodus 19 on that. So I'm not going to go there now, but um, he, he has to have the right to own it if, if, if he's going to do something with it. And many of us have never really begun to see the things that God can do if he ever actually becomes your Adonai instead of just this general creator God who made the heavens and the earth and all the stuff. He becomes Adonai when you allow him to become and claim ownership of your life. And he doesn't want to be in your life. God wants to own your life because the owner is ultimately responsible. Okay, so we're going to get into the word of God. Let's pray. God, as we, as we get into these passages, speak to our souls, Lord, with light and with life and with hope. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be in Judges 6. We're going to look at a couple of Old Testament characters. Um, and um, here, here's the context of Judges 6. The children of Israel, the nation of Israel, they've been carrying on. They, they, they've been ignoring God. And finally, he gets to this place watching what they're doing. And he basically says, listen, this is breaking my heart watching you behave this way. I'm paraphrasing, paraphrasing but basically he's saying, but, but if you want to chase after the world's ways, then Okay. I'll let the world lead you. I'll let the world provide for you. You can do your thing. Starting verse 2, Judges 6, verse 2. And here's what happens. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds, which are in the mountains. Now, this is, referencing, this is not referencing to them building summer cabins. This is referencing things that they were doing that were worshiping pagans, pagan idols. And... Um, and so the Midians were prevailing against God's people because the people had been worshiping these idols and tinkering with these false gods. So God lets the enemy you know, have his way with them. And verse 7 gets to the point where the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, cried out to Jehovah, I am that I am, because of the Midianites. So they get tired of being oppressed. You know, anybody here tired? <laughs> it says they got tired. They cried out to the Lord, God, Jehovah, help me. Do something, Jehovah. And when they did that, an angel of the Lord appears to a man named Gideon in uh, verse 12. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord, Jehovah, is with you, you mighty man of valor. <laughs> he calls him, he said, the Lord, the I am that I am is with you. Gideon said to, to, to him, oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all of his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But Lord, if you're here, if you're near me, then why am I going through this? Why can't I pay my bills? Why am I so unhappy? Why am I feeling alone? Why do I feel so defeated? You're supposed to be with me. You're supposed to be the great God that I hear about in church. How come you're not with me? <laughs> but now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. 
Verse 14, then the Lord, then Jehovah, turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So Gideon said to him, oh, Adonai, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my father's house. He's saying, I don't qualify. Here's something you need to know right now about God. He can make you qualified. (laughs) God decides if you're qualified. God says, you know, I know you don't have a pedigree. I know you don't have the credentials, you know, that would say you're qualified, but I'm Adonai. I'm, I'm the master. I own you. I've called you, and I've determined, I've determined this. Verse 16, and the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. I, I can tell you right now, you, you'll be amazed at what Jehovah, the I am that I am, can do in unlikely places of your life and with unlikely people that you would never expect it. You'll be amazed to, to, to see God um, overcome the Midianites in your midst. Pe- you know, people who are trying to hold you down, people who are trying to keep you from thriving, circumstances trying to minimize um, God's call in your life, um, your spiritual potential. And these Midianites, these strongholds are trying to keep you oppressed and, and addicted and defeated. Here's the thing. If God is your Adonai, you're going to see him go to work as your Jehovah. You're going to see him reveal things. And then so God reveals this really weird plan to, um, to them. It shows up in the next chapter. So Gideon has is, is, is been told, go fight the Midianites. So he gathers 32,000, about 32,000 fighting men. And God says, that's way too many people. I can't use all those people. You know, you, you, you might have people in your life. Are they the right people? Are, are they those that God wants to use for his plans in your life. You know, and, and so with God's guidance, Gideon whittles it down from 32,000 to about 10,000. Okay, God, ready to fight. And God says, still too many people. I can't use all those people. Have them go down to the water and get a drink. And um, the one who holds his head up when he drinks, they, they stay. Because the one who... So, so the, the idea is this. There's water. And you know, the ones who hold their head up when they drink... They're looking around, they're drinking, as opposed to the ones that, you know, maybe get down and drink like a dog or a cat. (laughs) Um, The ones who do that, who are so focused on only meeting their needs, as opposed to the ones who are taking care of their needs or being satisfied, but they're also paying attention to the task at hand. Those are the ones that I want want you to keep. So it gets whittled down from 10,000 to about 300. And now you go, you know, of course, Gideon's going, wait a minute. You want me to go fight this entire army with just 300 men? And God says, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I want you to go fight this army with 300 men and me. And me. You know, if you had 20,000 people to fight them and you didn't have me, you're not going to win. But with 300 of the right people plus me. I'm going to show you what Jehovah looks like when he becomes Adonai in your situation. And, you know, I think that a lot of us have Jehovah in our midst, but we've not yet met Adonai. He's not owning anything yet. He's just someone we come to church to hear about from the Bible and we'll say, well, guess what um, you know, Jehovah said today in church, but we never see Adonai at work until Jehovah and Elohim become your Adonai, 
you're not going to know how big God is. A couple of weeks ago, um, we were in Isaiah chapter 6, and I didn't go down this huge rabbit trail that was pulling on me. I just ignored it for today. Uh, but it's it, it, verse, verse 1, chapter 6, verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw Adonai sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, one of the things about me and my you know, rabbit trail-based mind is, why do I need to know that it was in the year the king died? It was then that Isaiah sees Adonai. Because I believe it's because it looked like the human king who was present was key in their minds. But the human king died. The one they looked to, this human leader, died. It wasn't until this human king died that Isaiah saw who really owned things. Adonai is seated on the throne. He's a sovereign of the universe. You know, I think this has been a tendency of us humans for the whole time. Um, way, way, way back in Judges, um, the, the, the children of Israel had judges. They didn't have a king, and they saw the other nations around them. They got kings, God. How come we don't get to have a king? God said to them, you do not want a king. Yes, 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 give us a king, give us a king. No, God says, you don't want a king. Here's why. They will tax you. They'll find ways to take your money and tax you. They'll tax you with everything they can, and they're going to spend it on themselves, and they're going to conscript your sons. They're going to grab your sons and force them to go to war. This is God back in the Old Testament saying, and, and the people were saying, no, no, give us a king, give us a king, give us a king. God says, you don't want a king. Yes, you do. Now, let me, you tell me, has that changed after these thousands of years? I mean, even today, even today. Now, listen, don't go get all Democrat and Republican on me right now. Just look at our culture. I'm not trying to get political with you. I'm trying to get spiritual with you. Just look at our culture. Who does our culture look for to save us? They look at who our king would be. They, they, instead of looking at the king, who do you think really provides for you? Who do you think really is your employer? Who do you really believe will take care of you when you need to be taken care of? If you, if you believe your government will do that for you, you're off scripture. That's very, very blunt. I'm not telling you how to vote. I'm just telling you if, you, if your faith is in your government instead of in your God, you are off bubble. Your, your tower is leaning. And, and sometimes we don't see um, Adonai until something dies in our situation. King Uzziah died, and they saw it. They got it, that God was on the throne. And the Lord sometimes allows something to die, something that we're looking to, something that we're depending upon. You know, He'll, he'll let, he'll let a, a job go that we were banking on because you know, of, of all of our financial hope in that employment instead of in the provider, the king. He lets this person um, maybe be removed from, from our lives because you know, we thought we couldn't make it without them. Not because God wants to put us through things, but when our focus becomes on things other than him, if we choose to make other things Adonai, you know, he, 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 he lets something go away. He lets something get shattered so that we can discover that who's really in charge? Who really owns what? Because the Uzziahs in our world will keep us from seeing things, including our own sin. And God will wait as long as it takes for, 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 for those that he owns to, to get this point. You know, He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and um, Psalm 5010, and he owns us too. He owns us all. You and I 
are only renters. We're just renters. And sometimes we forget that. I mean, I, I, because everything that we have is, is, is for a living. Everything that we use and consume, it's all borrowed. Nothing you, you have is yours. It's all borrowed. I mean, the clothes you wear, you have borrowed them from some, either some animal or some plant. <laughs> right? The, the fruit, the vegetables that you eat, you borrowed them from some seed that some, something somewhere grew. The meat that you eat, you, you borrowed that from some animal. You haven't made any animals, have you? I mean, you might raise some. You might do some things to help them grow, but we, none of us have made any animals. In fact, the air that I breathe, I'm borrowing it. We mostly walk around and behave like, you know, those things that, you know, what we control, we own it. It's mine. No, it's all on loan. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. When borrowers start acting like they're the owner, they actually insult the real owner. His name, Adonai, means that I don't own his creation. And the Bible teaches us that we came into the world naked and that's how we're going to (laughs) leave. So we don't own anything. So here's the deal. God expects us to recognize him as Adonai. He expects that. And that's sometimes when we're not seeing um, the presence of God or the power of God in our lives because, you know, God, you know, as, as, we, as God's people, we, we, we want to use God's name, but he can't control the things in my life. These are mine. And, you know, if you're a Christian, that, that everybody belongs to him. You've been bought by the price. Spirit, soul, and body, the whole package. So David, King David was known to be a man after God's own heart, and he had a great feel for this. I'm going to read a passage to you out of 2 Samuel. And when I get to the words Lord or God, I'm going to substitute the Hebrew word, just so that you can catch, capture what's going on in this conversation, this prayer between David and the king. This is 2 Samuel 7, starting in verse 18. He says, Adonai, over and over. Adonai, 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 along with other names, beginning in verse 18. Then David the king went in and sat before Jehovah, and he said, Who am I, O Adonai Jehovah? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? He understands that we're borrowers. You know, you've brought me this far. Verse 19, And yet this was insignificant in your eyes. It wasn't any big deal to you, God. O Adonai Jehovah, for you have spoken also of the house of your servant concerning the distant future. You have my future in your hands. And this is the custom of man, O Adonai Jehovah. Again, what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O creator, I am that I am. For the sake of your word and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness to let your servant know For this reason you are great, O Adonai Jehovah. For there is none like you, and there is no Elohim, creator, God, judge, supreme. There is no God beside you according to all that we have heard with our ears. No wonder David saw so much. He kept God in his eyes as Adonai, the one who owns, the the, the owner. We want God, we just don't want owner God. (laughs) And unless he owns you, you're going to be limited in how much of him you're going to ever experience. You know, you read a lot about him and understand um, a lot about Jehovah and the word, but your experience of God 
What you experience is tied to your recognition that Elohim and Jehovah have to be your Adonai. And he finally gets called Adonai in our circumstances when people's lives have finally gotten to the point where we, we no longer want to own ourselves. And God will wait. He'll wait patiently for you to give up ownership. In today's vernacular, in today's technical vernacular, it would be Adonai is the password for the unlocking of Jehovah. And it's not an incantation, by the way. You don't say Adonai is somehow a magic, you know, abracadabra. That's not what this is. It's a state of heart. It's reflected in how you approach your life. If you want to get more, um, uh, get into more of Jehovah uh, expressing himself, more of, of, of Jehovah revealing and manifesting himself, then he must be your Adonai. Jesus in the New Testament, he puts it this way. This is Luke chapter 6, starting in um, verse 46. Now, by, this is written, or this, this, he spoke Greek. So these, these Hebrew words we've been using, this is going to be a different word. This will be a Greek word. And uh, this is kurios. K-U-R-I-O-S would be the way we would spell it in English. But it's not, 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 not like curious, like weird, but kurios, which, which literally means, guess what? Master owner. If you took this word Jesus used in Greek, kurios, and translated it into to Hebrew, you would translate it into the word Adonai. So Jesus is using the Greek version of the word Adonai here. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord? Why do you keep calling me master, master, owner, owner? Why do you keep calling me that when you don't do what I say? I'll show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. Then he uses this example of a person who builds um, using a good foundation, and that building lasts. It doesn't lean. <laughs> Verse 49, but anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against the house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. He was talking about the Leaning Tower of Pisa. I don't think so. He's talking about people, but it could have been the Leaning Tower of Pisa. It's not the food. It's pizza, not pizza, right? Okay. Okay. So he's saying, you know, you're talking this talk, but I don't own you. Because if I own you, you'd find out what the owner wants. <laughs> and if you don't find out what the owner wants, that's because you don't believe I own you. That, Jesus is really drilling down to the, the beginning here. So, so, so if you really don't want to know what the owner wants, it's because you believe you're the owner, go ahead. Do your thing. Take care of yourself. That's what he's talking about here. That's why so many people look to God to bail them out, but there's no solution showing up from heaven because they are their own Adonai. They're their own Adonai. They want to run their own lives. Men want to, you know, we want to run our own lives independent of God. Women, we want to run our own lives independent of God. We want to run our own homes independent of God. We want to run our own finances independent of our own careers independent of God. And then we say, God's not working for me true. That's true. And eventually every one of us will face this question. Is he Adonai for you? Is he the owner? Or is he just God in general? Unless, until, I was going to say unless, but until we address this lordship issue, this owner issue, this, this master issue, God's revelation of himself in your life is going to be very limited. You're not going to see him taking you to a deeper level. He only takes people there who he owns. And until we solve this lordship issue, God can do more 
with just a few who get the lordship thing than with many who only recognize him as creator. That whole Gideon deal, 300 instead of 32,000. Everybody who, who, who acknowledges God and sees him as creator, but not that many recognize his lordship. Talking about Christians here. And there's only one appropriate response to the name Adonai. Surrender. Surrender. Surrender of your will to his will. Surrender of your ways to his ways. Surrender of yourself to his self. You know, chaos. I think, I think most, of the, most of us spend our lives kind of managing chaos. <laughs> if you haven't been last month, wait till this month. I mean, Lisa and I were talking. We have a week of just, we have chaos, chaos, chaos. And I mean, not, no different than the rest of you. It's like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to manage this chaos as the best I can. And, and, and so we try to manage our chaos. But God says, basically, you know, you're not going to have to manage so much chaos, Terry, if I could own you. You know, if I could tell a man what it's like to be a man, what, if, I, if, I, Jesus, if I could tell a man what I expect of him to be a father, what if I expect him to be, to, you know, to, to, to be a husband, I could do, if I could do that, if, if I own you. If I could tell a woman what it's like to be a woman, a mother, a female, what it's like I could, if, if, I, if I own you. If I could tell you how to relate to your finances, I would do that if, if, if I could own you. I could tell you what to do with your body, because it's not your body. It's my body, Jesus says, and I own you. But if you take the position, no, 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 you don't own me because I own me. I'm the captain of my own ship. I am the master of my own fate. I am the man. <laughs> then while God, God will absolutely not force you to follow him, even though he hates where you are leading yourself. On court TV, um, if you want to go on court TV, don't do it, okay? But if you want to go on court TV, there's an expectation that, that you'll have to agree to, and that's this. The decision that the judge makes is final. There's not going to be an appeal. You, if you think that you're going to go have your case tried um, before Judge Judy, and she says left, and you're thinking, no, it should have been right, can I appeal, and you want to make a case, that is not how it works. If you, um, if you don't agree in advance that her decisions are final, you're not going on the show. And um, you know, if you want to debate that, they just won't even hear the case. A lot of us go to God, and we want to kind of test him to see what his decision will be. And if we like what we hear, we get on board. We'll be submitted to it. But if we don't, then... Um, and, and here's the thing. God says, sorry, Terry, that's not how it works. That's just not how this works. It has to be agreed in advance that I'm Adonai, you're Terry. I'm not going to disregard your point. I, I'm going to hear what you have to say. I, I'm going to hear, I, I want to hear how you feel. But then I'm going to make the final decision. And, and Terry, you're just going to have to believe that I'm fair, that I'm good, that I'm just. And then I'm going to make the right decision even as one you don't prefer because I'm Adonai. I'm the master and I'm the owner. We have deeds um, that let us, a piece of paper that let us transfer ownership like a car or a house or something. You know, um, and it's an actual transfer that we do with other human beings. I don't know how you do that. You, you don't hand a piece of paper to Jesus, but there is a, you should view it like a transfer of deed and ownership where we say to Christ, 
You are now Adonai of my life. I, I deed my life to you. My emotions, my family, my, my material possessions, my finances, my very being, I deed them over to you, Lord. And because you're Elohim, the fact you can make something out of nothing, because, because you are Jehovah and you manifest yourself to us, I am that I am, I'm also going to make you Adonai so that I can have both Elohim and Jehovah at work in my life. Tired of the chaos, tired of the drama. I'm going to give the Lord the deed to the trust woman. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, God, for your word. This is sometimes challenging because there's something in me that wants to be the boss of me. There's something in me that says, I've grown up now. I will make my own decisions. I'm the master of my own fate. I'm the captain of my own ship. Forgive me, Lord, when I forget that to heaven I'm like a two-year-old kicking my legs in a temper tantrum instead of acknowledging that you, very God or very God, love my soul better than I know how to love myself. That you have only... my highest and best interests that God the ways you think about me are not to use me up and to consume me but for me you have a future and a hope forgive me when I don't remember that Lord forgive us when we wander away from Adonai to want you to do the miraculous without owning us forgive us for that so Lord now with tenderness of hearts we turn to you eyes are closed right now, and I, I would ask everybody to keep your eyes closed, that for those of us who maybe we mostly make you Adonai, but we want, to be, we want you to be more Adonai tomorrow than we are today, raise your hands right now and just say to the king, Lord, do you see these hands? We want, to be, we want you to be Adonai for us. And now I want to speak to people who don't know God at all. You know that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to avoid. You realize that Scripture teaches that, that every person is imperfect. Nobody's good enough to get to heaven apart from the work of Jesus. But that's where the good news comes. Scripture says that all who call on Christ for salvation, they'll be saved. And that's all that it takes. You don't have to join a church and you don't have to give money. You don't have to do any tasks You just simply accept the gift that's been given. If you've never done that before, I encourage you to give your heart to the king, to just make the leap to Adonai right this moment. And what will happen, Scripture promises, that your name will appear in the Lamb's Book of Life. And on that day, which is coming, on that day, he will say, enter into my rest. Well done. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet.